Find out why more and more people are betting with Betfred. They make betting on sports super easy. Betfred's new app makes it super simple to place your bet and even offers protection like bad beat bonuses. The newly improved app comes with more markets, more bonuses, and more action. When you bet with Betfred, you're a big fish in a small pond and you'll feel it. This is the Doc Talk Podcast presented by Betfred Sports 2023, episode 31. All right, coming off the Thanksgiving hangover where we might have put on, I don't know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten pounds. The okay, caloric not that intake was high for me. Was it? I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I it, ate a lot. What did what, y'all eat? Because you were... Uh, were you yeah, we, at- yeah, we did a surf and turf. So it was like all grill. Because you showed me a, a charcuterie board to start with. So it, Yeah, you? so my youngest daughter, she's kind of... She's likes the whole charcuterie thing so she put together a charcuterie board that was outstanding so we were snacking on actually i think we had about three different ones going all morning and then kind of started watching football had a few drinks and then kind of got after it that evening what time do you start drinking on thanksgiving (laughs) seriously well, usually I'll go early, and I'm, I was trying to be good, and then my wife decides she's busting out a red beer at like 11 a.m. That's not too late, I don't think. No, well, and it was a red beer, so it's, it's a poor man's Bloody Mary, so that means it's okay. You can go as early in the day as you want as long as it's Bloody Mary. Sure. You can I, do like a I stout, like a, a porter, or a Bloody Mary anytime before noon. Okay, I can it's go. It's science. Because I don't drink that Clamato shit. Do you ever drink that stuff? Yeah, I like that. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, I can't touch it. Because I've done that before where I've been at seafood places, and you'll get like, a, I'll throw like a little splash of clam juice. Or do you know what's a good Bloody Mary? Get your Bloody Mary, dump about three raw oysters in it. Like three oysters on the half shell into the Bloody Mary. With okay, but you you're talking not a red money. beer, a regular Bloody Mary Bloody, vodka. Re, yeah, regular Bloody Mary. Okay, throw like if you like oysters on the half shell, throw like three of them in there, and that that that's sort of like a highfalutin clamato. I think I would like that better. Do you, now, do you end up eating the oysters too? At the end, why would you not? Okay, go. They're probably seasoned at that point. Too. Oh hell yeah, yeah. delish. All right. That's protein, dude. Is there anything at the Thanksgiving table that you don't take? So when you're going through the line, is there anything that you don't take? Because I have something. No, I'm one of those guys. I'll eat pretty much anything. I mean, if you do it right. I mean, it's... I I mean, okay, let's say you're like, yeah, I don't do uh, sweet potatoes. I'm like, okay, I've had like two-thirds of all sweet potatoes I've ever had have been at least decent. One third have been like, yeah, yeah, you didn't do that right. You know what I don't take? Huh? I don't take the bread. I don't take the rolls. And I do that because that fills you up a lot faster. So I, I will give you that. Because I've got I've got mashed potatoes, I've got sweet potatoes, I've got stuffing. I'm not touching the bread. I just I just leave. I mean, the rolls. stuffing is bread. I get that, but why load up on even more carbs when it's just going to fill my belly up? I do like, do you know what I like? I like one big dinner roll at the end to kind of clean everything up with. I think I hurt my mother-in-law's feelings because she made like 158 rolls, like little homemade ones. Oh, they Okay. Did she do homemade? Homemade. Yes. Homemade. Okay. Well, that's whole different. That's different. That's a game changer. I know. And I, I didn't take one. Yeah. I'd be upset too. Like I'm upset for her. <laughs> 
what the hell, dude? Yeah, but she made a spectacular turkey. It was brined perfectly. Um, everything was was ideal. I just stay away from the bread. I'm not okay. a big bread I mean, guy. if somebody's making homemade dinner rolls, you can bet your ass I'm eating at least two of them. Yeah, I, I didn't have any. Okay, so stuffing. What kind of stuffing? We had this discussion at work on Wednesday. I, it's a it's a, a Katira family secret. So my wife's uh, mother's maiden name is Katira, and the stuffing recipe has been handed down generations to generations. So my wife's in charge of the stuffing. I don't know what goes in it, but it's like crack, man. It is like crack. See, I kind of grew up with, I mean, my mom and everybody in her family would always do like the old school, like Stouffer's stovetop oh, stuffing yeah. mix, which yeah. it's kind of one of those you have it. it, it you're, you're sitting there, okay, this is the same stuff that's in the stuffing at the old elementary school Thanksgiving lunches. Um, which, by the way, were good. Yeah, my, they were. They my, were delicious. My mom was the lunch lady. She was the head lunch nice. lady. Oh, yeah. She made a mean school Thanksgiving lunch. Yeah, they were great. But it, so my wife is like, okay, I'm going to make stuffing for real. And so I don't know where she got the recipe, but she got this recipe for it's a cranberry pork sausage stuffing. Ooh. Like, like, like you, you use like, like dried cranberries. Yeah in it but not a lot enough enough that you just barely know they're there so you get a little zing in there that's pretty good but i think like a full 30 percent of the mass of this stuffing is pork sausage oh but i mean it's kind of where you start it off you melt like the recipe starts off with like melt eight sticks of butter right you have me right there exactly and then you cook like chopped celery yeah and, and like Ever so slightly, t- like I'm one of those guys, you can't have too much onion in anything. You cook celery and chopped onion in the butter. And then you mix, and then there's like eight other spices you mix in. Um, you brown the sausage, and then it's like you toss the stuff in, the stuffing, like you get bread, you dice up your own bread, and you go get like nice bread. Like my wife would always go get like, several loaves of like nice French baguette yeah. bread, dry it out, dice it up, and then you like cook the sausage, and then you toss the sausage and the sausage grease. Oh, so you get the fat. Oh, fuck. Heck yeah. I just said fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, you do, in the bread. And then you mix all that in with the celery and uh, the, the the butter sautéed celery and onion. I think stuffing is one of those dishes. And then you, yeah, and then it, you put it all together in a pan, yeah, and make cover it, it, throw it in the oven, and let it cook. Oh, it's a meal in and of itself. But I think stuffing is one of those dishes, at, a, at, at, at whether that's Christmas or Thanksgiving, that if it's not done right, you stay away from it, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's like it's either really, really good, or yeah. it's like, you know, I don't want to touch it. Yeah, this stuffing was outstanding because it, it was kind of – you, you, it, it could stand alone, but if you wanted to throw like a big old dollop of gravy on it, it still worked. You could still do it. Make it wet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was plenty. I know people hate this word. It was plenty moist by itself. All that butter and all that pork sausage. Oh, man. It was, oh, God, that stuff was good. What I hear we, you saying, did, Rob, is that you really do, like the fat. Yeah, we didn't do it this year because we did more of a surf and turf. The other stuffing I've had that I really like is oyster stuffing. But you I'm and like, your seafood, man. 
But I will. I'm one of the few people in my family that really likes oysters. I got the I, I, my oldest daughter. She's bought it. She gets it. Um, she's vegetarian. No, she she'll eat dairy, eggs, and and if it comes out of the water, she'll eat it. Okay. All right. So she's pescatarian. Yeah, pescatarian. Okay. So, um, but yeah, so any kind of seafood she'll eat because she's smart. She knows seafood is freaking delicious. So, well, it's true. Good seafood is. You're right. Anyway, oyster stuffing. I'm. That means it's kind of like the people I've talked with. There's like. In the South, it's oyster dressing. On the East Coast, it's oyster stuffing or vice versa. It's an East Coast and it's a South thing. Okay. It's kind of what I've I've kind of gleaned. And, and the dressing stuffing thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's just what you call it. But oyster stuffing, and usually when I've had it, it it's instead of regular bread, you use cornbread. So you do, use really? coin cornbread, and then like you get a whole bunch of it. And then you dump no joke like two pounds of of oysters into it, and then cook it up. Interesting. So you uh, you had something to drink on Thanksgiving. Here's what we're drinking today. This looks really dark, doesn't it? I mean that that's a dark dark beer. And Rob and I we we used. Uh, uh, self-restraint today because we're drinking a malt bin. This is from Side Project, and Scott sent this to us last week, so we're continuing what he sent us. Like The alcohol content alone mandates that we're going to drink Scott's alcohol supply over like four different podcasts. This is 15% alcohol by volume. Which, if you are a loyal podcast listener, that's loose morals. I think it's even bigger than loose. I thought loose morals was, was like nine point nine. No, nah, it was like it was it was double digits, but it was like twelve or thirteen. This is, I mean, it's thick. I can't drink more. than... And even I was like, we're doing the one bottle. We're gonna share it, and then we're done. Yes, and then we got like a palate cleanser. Yeah, we're gonna go on to the the Danish pilsner after that. But yeah, the malt vin. What'd you say that's because it's a barley wine? Well, yeah, the, it said malt vin. I was like, oh, I get it, malt vin. Beer, yeah, wine. I like it. I like. I don't know. I might have been overthinking that a little bit. You went to the game on uh, on Friday, didn't you? I did. So, so uh, yeah, my oldest daughter and I went. Had a blast. Fr- freeze your ass off. It was not that bad. Hold on, Owen. Owen went to the game, and he's. He, I didn't wear black and gold today. I thought I'd be nice to all, yeah. all the viewers and listeners, so I didn't wear any black and gold today. Owen's wearing the Iowa shirt. You froze your ass off, didn't I, you? I thought it was pretty cold, uh, personally. I, but uh, I mean, I'm not a little bitch. So yeah. I suppose <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, maybe it's where we are at uh, in the stadium or something like that. But no, no, <laughs> there was like zero wind, dude. It didn't matter where you were at in the stadium. See, I I had some wind. I think it's just you're you're just smaller. Yeah. Well, compared to you, yes. Yeah. Yes. So you Owens did- Owens like the North American shrew. He has to eat like four times his body weight every day to maintain. And his he metabolism. was in the north end zone. That's where you said, isn't it? I did. So we started out in the north end zone. So my mom and a couple of her friends were at the game together. And there, there were a couple of open seats near them. So at halftime, we went over and sat with my mom on the East Stadium. But we watched the first half in the North Stadium and the second half in the East Stadium. But it's an 11 a.m. start, so theoretically, it should have been warmer in the second half. So I, I thought it was I, – I, I didn't think it was that bad. Now, I will say this. I'm one of these guys, like, I got layering down to a damn science. 
So, I mean, you go to enough, you go to enough Augustana games up in Sioux Falls, you, you, you learn to do that, although it's kind of a weird deal because the last Augustana game in Sioux Falls we went to, it was 65 degrees at last week. Yeah, the worst weather you had for an Augustana game was actually in Wayne where it actually Yeah, snowed. it was in Nebraska, It was for in God's Nebraska. Sakes. Of course, uh, Nebraska lost Iowa 13-10. to 10. I'm not going to gloat today. I promise you I'm not going to gloat. You can gloat a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, I want to get into the game, but uh, of course, Nebraska fails to become bowl Which, eligible. By, by the way, if Nebraska had won, I'd be talking shit nonstop. I know, I know. But I, I, I'd be I'd, I would have I would have had T-shirts made up that said Deuce on it for like two in a row. I, I am I am taking the high road today, Rob. I, I I don't want to poke the bear because eventually it all comes around. It, everything comes around eventually. Now Matt Rule uh, is not going to a bowl game on his uh, first season. Nebraska still hasn't been to a bowl since 2016. That should hurt. Fourteen. Stay. Is it fourteen? Twenty fourteen. That was sixteen. They went. Oh, you're right. I keep yeah. forgetting about the Foster Farms Bowl. Yeah, see, Never mind. I know Nebraska Sorry. football better than this guy. Does. Yeah. But uh, Matt Rule, you know, he came in. The last th- time we were technically bowl eligible <laughs> was 2014. That's how's, fair. How's that that? that? that is fair. But here was Matt Rule talking about his seniors in this uh, in this first class he went through. Can't tell you how much I wanted that game for them. I wanted them to walk off the field winners. Um, you know, for them to walk off the field, especially to lose in that fashion. I. You know, I wouldn't wish that on wouldn't wish that on anybody. But um, what I will say, and this, you know, I know sometimes, whatever, um, they they are winners. Um, just very grateful for that senior class. As I said, they stood in the gap. Um, well, might, everyone might not be able to see it. I, I truly believe they've built something really, really special, and um, just hate uh, hate the way it ended. I do agree. They're building something. Whether it's special, time will tell. But this senior class has been through a lot, and I do think the program has got better under Matt Rule in year one. I think so. I, I, I keep going back to the fact that from a talent standpoint, from a what-you-have-to-work-with standpoint, okay, you look at what – I mean, you look at what Mike Riley dealt with, and he had he came in and he had Tommy Armstrong. He had an established quarterback for a couple of years. You look at Scott Frost had he had Adrian Martinez for four years. Um, I mean, you look at the supporting cast that those guys had. Uh, you lose Adrian, he leaves and goes to um, Kansas State. You get Casey Thompson in there. I mean, you look at the personnel, the overall personnel was fairly decent for Mike Riley and Scott Frost. The the overall personnel was consistent. When Matt Rule comes in, it's you take a gamble on Sims in the portal. Casey Thompson goes to goes to Florida Atlantic. Um, you got Harburg, you got Chubba Purdy coming off of injury. You lose your top two running backs in one game. By midseason, you've lost, I think it's, what is it, three out of your top four wide receivers. Yeah. In one game, you lost three starting offensive linemen. It, it's You didn't have much to start with. It was all new guys to start with. And then you lost all of them due to injury during the course of the season. I mean, the it, it's hard for me to judge this 
when the building blocks of the team weren't that good to begin with, and then you lost half of them as the season went along. So now on the flip side, I suppose you could look at that and say like, Hey, you had this, this team that due to injuries and, uh, transfers and everything else was in incredible flux. And other than the Michigan game, well, and probably the Colorado game, other than those two games, you were in every single game you played in until the bitter end. What's the difference? No, the difference is Iowa knows how to win the, cl- the close games. Nebraska can't win the close. What's is it? A, is it a mental thing? Is it do you need something to go your way? I mean, think about it. Nebraska gets a pick. We were talking before we started. Nebraska gets a pick in the final minute. You're thinking, oh. The, the, the chessboard has been flipped. Nebraska's going to do this. Then Iowa turns around and gets the pick, gets a long run. The, the long run surprised me. Uh, little with bit, Sean Williams. yeah. And then the, the, the field goal. Why is Iowa able to win the close games and Nebraska is? I mean, some of it is that emotional or that mentality thing. I, I think that does play a role in it. Iowa does. I mean, they live there. That's their thing. I mean, you had told me the week before the game that – Kirk Ferentz is most comfortable when he's got a tie game fourth quarter and he's going to sit there and play this goofy field position chess match. That's his thing. That's what he loves. That's what he is comfortable doing with. And he's good at it. And he's good at it. And he's been doing it for two decades. I mean, there there's a little there is a little bit of an art and a little bit of a talent there to be able to manage those games. It's not easy to do. But if you're good at it and you're comfortable with it, and Kirk Ferentz is, you're going to win a lot of those. And Iowa does win a lot of those for that reason. Now, the other thing that we can look at here, um, you look at Iowa's offense on the whole, and I understand they lost a few guys. I mean, you look at... You lost two two tight ends, both NFL guys. You lose your starting quarterback. You lose... Uh, you, you you lose an offensive lineman. You you, you lose. Let's see uh, another wide receiver. So you, you lose some stuff. Now I, before you jump into the stats, I want to ask you this question because this game I've seen every Iowa game. I've seen every Nebraska game this year. I've watched a lot of bad football this year. <laughs> I mean, a lot of well, bad football. Well, if you've football. watched every Nebraska and Iowa game, you've watched a lot of bad football. I spent more time on social media during this game than probably I have all season long. And people were ripping the game, calling it god-awful, bad football. And I actually thought it was a good game. I didn't think it was bad football. Okay, it's not a – I mean, it wasn't a bad game. But neither of these are good teams. Now, it's – and it's weird saying that because I'm looking at Iowa and going, this is a 10-2 and two team. 10-2. and two. Okay. I mean, this is sort of the it, – it, this is the Big Ten West equivalent of finishing. I mean, it, it's like – it's like finishing second in a two-man race, for God's sakes. Or finishing, or rather, it's finishing first in a two-person but race. But they did it, right? I mean, somebody had to do it. And they did it. I'm just, you're sitting here going like, oh my God, Minnesota's god-awful. The fact that Nebraska could go up to Wisconsin and take that game to the final minute, Wisconsin is not good. Purdue's horrible. Illinois is a, a train wreck. Um, Northwestern started out horribly and just kind of held their shit together towards the end. But I mean, they didn't win in seven games. They did. And as good of a job as that coaching staff did taking over for Fitzgerald, 
Um, I, I do think that guy should be the Big Ten Coach of the Year. Hands. No way. Kirk Ferentz. Yeah. Kirk Ferentz should be the Big Ten Coach of the Year. The dude, the dude loses a starting quarterback. He loses two tight ends. His son gets fired but in the middle of the season. He didn't lose his starting quarterback. Yeah, he did. His Kate. starting quarterback got benched and decided to become a GA for a no, year. No, 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 no. I'm talking Cade now, McNamara. And is now transferring. Cade McNamara, okay, A, sucked. There's a reason he left He was Michigan. injured. He was injured. And he was banged up and injured to begin with. Kirk Ferentz should be the unanimous Big Ten coach of the year. No way, dude. You, unanimous. He won't be unanimous. He had win more it. to work with. He had more system to work with. He had more consistent coaching staff to work with. He has what is still arguably the best defense and special teams in the conference. Now, Michigan, Ohio State may say something about it defensively, but uh, I, I won't argue with that. No, I think Iowa, Iowa defensively is perfectly capable with hanging those two teams. They have they don't have the offense to do it, and what's going to happen is Michigan is just going to plow them over, because at some point Michigan's going to score a handful of points, and Iowa's not going to be able to score any. It's the same thing that happened between Iowa and Penn State. You might be right, and that that point spread has started out, uh, started what to twenty three and a half. It's dropped down to twenty two and a half on Betfred. The over under, however, is surprisingly low. It was thirty five. I thought it'd be a little higher than that. Um, I don't think Michigan tries to score a lot. Yeah, they'll just they'll just go out and get they're the job done. Yeah, they're per Michigan is perfectly fine doing what they. I mean, look at the Penn State Michigan game. Michigan is fine just doing. Okay, we're not going to score forty two on you. We're just going to grind you into the dirt and then walk away. And it's only going to be like a two, maybe three touchdown win. I mean, it's. I, I'm, I'm comparing it to the Colorado game my senior year. We just ground them into the dirt. I mean, it was 24-7 to 7 was the final score. It wasn't that close. It though. wasn't. I it, was, it was not that close. Same thing. The, 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 the Michigan-Penn State game was not that close. Michigan State versus Iowa – Michigan's going to learn. Michigan is going to lose. I'm sorry. Michigan is going to win this game by two or three touchdowns, but it's not going to be that close. So, do you want to make a bet right now that Kirk Ferentz is the Big Ten Coach of the Year? You take your guy from Northwestern. I'll take Kirk Ferentz. You want to make a bet? Who votes on it? Is it the league coaches? Uh, I, I think. Yeah, I think you've got the the coaches. I believe, and I think you have a media one too. Ooh, I could see a split one here. I think the coaches are going to give it to Ferentz. I I would agree with you on that. I, I think I think Ferentz wins. I think Ferentz wins. Yeah, uh, just because of the ex, uh, of the circumstances. The, the Northwestern story is great. Yeah, I, it's not it, like it those circumstances were drat. I mean, were God, that was a tough situation. I mean, hey, you're the D court, and you're a first year D coordinator. Guess what? By the way. You're also going to be the head coach. Just letting you know that now a month into the job. Great coaching job. Not going to deny. No, he did an amazing but, coaching but just job. Based there. on based on history, and coaches are usually rewarded for for winning a division or winning a championship because Jim Harbaugh is not winning coach of the year. No, that's not happening. And so I think they're going to give it to Kirk Ferentz. Now, being the Iowa fan that I am, I think Kirk Ferentz deserves it, and I I, I think he I think I, he's going to get it. I, I, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, I guess. I, I mean, I think the two best jobs in the league this year were Ferentz. Is it Braun? Yeah. 
David Braun. So I, I thought Braun did it. I mean, I just thought to come in as the D coordinator, because guess what? Kirk Ferentz has been a head coach for a well, long time. Long time. 25 years this year at He's Iowa. got a he's got he had he already had an O coordinator in place. He's got arguably, I'm not saying he's the best, but he's got arguably the best D coordinator in the in the conference. Won't deny that. Yeah. Parker's amazing. He's got arguably the best special teams in the conference. So I'm looking at, like, you can look at the stuff Iowa had to overcome, the stuff Northwestern had to overcome. Northwestern, I'll give you, maybe had to overcome less. But kind of their their team dynamics, their foundational dynamics were worse. Now, Iowa's got stable long-term head coach, stable but shitty offensive coordinator, stable but amazing D coordinator. Stable and amazing special teams. All you've got all of these stabilizing forces on Iowa's side, and over on Northwestern side, complete flux. Your your head coach who's been there for what twelve since he years? played. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, he took over in what was it like twenty? It's been longer than oh eight oh nine. I think so. I'm trying to think what year that when guy Fitzgerald died. took yeah. over. Either way, we're looking it up right now. But I mean, you look at Northwestern. Um, it, it's month before the season. Your head coach is gone, and your brand new D coordinator he took over in two thousand six. Okay, so I mean, you got a guy who's been there for seventeen years. So a guy who's been there for seventeen years is suddenly gone. The brand new D coordinator is now suddenly elevated to head coach. Who's never been in Division One football his entire life? Yeah, wasn't he? Was he uh, North one Dakota of, State? Yeah, he was a North Dakota State guy. So all of a sudden now, this is your head coach. Like I said, the stability at Iowa at, at all of these things, it's like, oh, boo hoo, your quarterback, your, your transfer quarterback got hurt. I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just not seeing it. Well, I, was it a great coaching job? Yes. Oh hell yeah. Yes, absolutely. Did Braun have more to overcome? I think so. We'll find out this week. Uh, I, but here's what Kirk Ferentz has that uh, only one other coach has, and that's Barry Switzer. He has six wins at Memorial Stadium. Damn, <laughs> that's brutal. That's a brutal stat, actually. Think about that. No other coach besides Barry Switzer has more wins at Memorial Stadium. Yeah, well, Barry's got three national titles. He does, and Iowa doesn't have any. And I'm not, and I'm one of those Iowa fans. I'm not recognizing what 1956 or 58. It I was refuse. 58. I refuse to do that. So, but uh, you know, Iowa came out in the first half, established the run. You had two different halves here. I was able yes. to establish that run in the first half. Had two blocked field goals in the first half. So that 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 was key to keeping that score tied at halftime. Iowa had the ball at 22 minutes in the first half. Yeah, so we were looking at these numbers. So, yeah, Iowa had the ball for 10 minutes and 41 seconds in the first quarter, 11 minutes, 31 seconds in the second. So, yeah, so basically 22 minutes of the first. I mean, that's that's brutal. 
And that was the thing that surprised me, because when you look at Nebraska's defense, I actually thought Nebraska's defense would be the more dominant-appearing defense in this game. I thought they – because I'm looking at Deacon Hill. The guys that have given Nebraska trouble, it's guys like like Mordecai who – I mean, and it's not like Mordecai is Patrick Mahomes, but – it's guys who can move around and cause you fits. That's what gives you trouble. And, I mean, Shadur Sanders got a mobile quarterback. You got Mordecai. It's a mobile quarterback. You got J.J. McCarthy, who it might be one of the more underrated runners as far as quarterbacks I would go agree with in the Big that. Ten. Um, those are the guys that gave this defense fits this year. And you're looking at Deacon Hill, who looks like this 258-pound statue back there, it's not like he's going to take off and burn you on a run. And for Iowa to come out and just, I, I mean, they just did this consistent ball control, four yards, four yards, five yards, four yards, four yards, three I mean, yards, four. Think I mean, about it. Just, they, they, they had 200 yards of total offense in the first half. Now, they yeah. only ended up with what? Like 268, 268 or something. 268. Yeah. But, I mean, for 200 yards of total offense in the first half for Iowa – you're getting run over at that point. Yeah. Now, here's the thing that was the saving grace. And I like now this loss becomes more bewildering to me when I start d- diving into these numbers. It's because Nebraska weathered a storm in that first half. Like when your opponent gets 200 yards of total offense and has the ball for 22 out of 30 minutes, that's an ass whooping. And the score was tied at halftime. Thank God for Omaha West Side. So between Alvano and Jalen Lloyd, kept the score tied. But it's that's the that's the thing that's that's crazy here to me is when you look at it, Nebraska weathered a hell of a storm, and a lot of it was guys like Hutmacher and uh, Ty Robinson getting push up the middle on those field goal attempts and getting the blocks on those field goals. I mean that that was a game changer. Because now the score is tied at halftime, and then you look at what Nebraska does in the second half statistically, and Nebraska has the ball 11 minutes of the third quarter. I mean, it was an 11-4 to switch in terms of time of possession. And then Nebraska had the ball for almost nine and a half minutes in the fourth quarter. So Nebraska completely owns the clock in the second half of the game. But can't find a way to score. And they cannot find a way to score. Now, you got the, you, you've got these massive, massive what-ifs. And I mean, in the first one is Alvano's missed field goal. And the thing that's frustrating there is the fact that 42 yards is well within his range. And I still, and I tweeted this, I, I still think Alvano is going to be an outstanding kicker for Nebraska. I really do. If this is his adjustment as a fre- as a true freshman to Big Ten football, I think I can live with it because I think the kid's an amazing athlete. And, I mean, now that he's going to be a little more used to it, he's going to be a little more used to some of these college-level pressure situations, I, I think he's going to end up being outstanding. But that, that one was disappointing because 42 yards is well within his – that's well within his range. So that that one hurt. I now, mean, it, his big mistake was he didn't come out for a sixty-yard field goal, which yeah, you kind of want him. <laughs> that's well, th- I, I I mean, 
say you're going to do a fake field goal without saying you're going to do a fake field goal, and that's lining up and taking one from sixty, right? I don't yeah. think I don't think Iowa would. I, I think it was better. I don't think Nebraska would have got it there. I think I was thinking there's no way they're going to kick from sixty. That's his range. Yeah, I I've watched him do it. I I don't I don't know if it would have been that 50, big of a surprise. Yeah, fifty plus was well within his capabilities through high school. I get that, but I don't think anybody in their right mind thought that they were going to try to kick a field goal. There. Yeah, probably not. So I, I mean, I know he was a little upset, but I I still think the better the the game to play at that point is play is flip the field. Yeah, just do it. Yeah, pooch punt it. Yep. And, and I think it worked out. I mean, yeah. I, I was surprised when he said he had a fake call there. And because and he's like, well, the kicker didn't run on the field. Well, because nobody in their right mind is thinking you're going to kick one from 60. Yeah. Don't you think that? I agree. Yeah. So I mean, that's the thought process, which, yeah, that's a little – yeah, that it messes with your head a little bit. So I agree with that. Yeah. But, I mean, 42 – he should have had the 42-yarder. And it's just he should have. It's within his range, and that's a makeable field goal for him. Just and it was it was online and just hooked late. Yeah, and that was the kicker. Soccer players they always put a little English on it. Nebraska threw seven times on first down. Yeah, that was disappointing. Yeah, is that too much? Yeah, I still. I mean, in my book, I'm not ready to. So a lot of people. I mean, for about a month now, we've been hearing the fire Satterfield. Comment, oh yeah, comments. I think we got comments coming later on about it. Um, kind of my thought process has been: it's just I have a lot of trouble laying judgment upon him when I know what he has to work with. And God, it's just it's not much. That's the that's the thing is I mean when you look at what he has to work with at quarterback at like this depleted wide receiver core where probably is two I mean he's got three targets he's got Kemp and then it's Jalen Lloyd and Malachi Coleman who are true true wide true true freshman wide receivers you, you've got Bullock I, I don't um, think they use Spadoni enough yeah I don't I, mean, I think they should have got yeah and it's one of those things that you go into a game with a game plan and sometimes it just doesn't work I don't know why they went away from the tight end I don't know why they went away from the inside run game the outside run was not there but I think it could have been inside and I think they should have stuck with it you tell me I mean I Iowa and if you watch the doc's diagnosis this week we do an Iowa play with the tight end breaking open on and he's wide open I watched the Michigan Ohio State game Michigan's tight end huge factor in that I'm I'm thinking of Fedoni I'm like I don't think they use him enough I, I agree I, I mean and I also think he's got good hands I mean the guy makes the catches when the ball's there so yeah I I'd, I'd like to see them use him far more than what they have been and wish they'd gone to him more. I I, I kind of feel like they went into this game. Um, I think they were trying not to play to Iowa's strengths on defense. And I think Iowa's trying not to play to their strengths. On, oh, okay. They, they, yeah, they didn't want to play into Iowa's strengths, but which I, Iowa's I great was, against. They're, they're great against everything. Well, and that's true. I just, I think they they were thinking, on hey, defense, we. I want to clarify. Yeah, I think they Nebraska was thinking, hey, we've got to go a little bit more of a long ball game here. 
But you saw the problem with that is, is it takes time to develop, especially with the wide receivers we've got. And you end up with Chubba Purdy running around in the backfield on every play. Which Chubba's got some mobility. Um, now, Chubba, I, he didn't play bad. He didn't play as good as against Wisconsin. No, but this defense was way better than Wisconsin's defense. I would agree with you on that. Is Chubba the quarterback of the future? I I don't know. Jury's out in my book. I I've he looked he looked better against Wisconsin than we've ever seen him play. The God, the sample size is so small. I mean, you've got a little bit of playing time last year. You got the Wisconsin game and you got the Iowa game. So and we haven't seen it. enough. Yeah, that's it. I mean, and when you say is he the answer for next year? Okay, well. What happens if you jump in the portal and you go after some of these guys that have – I saw A&M's quarterbacks just hit the portal. Uh, uh, was it Will Rogers? Is he the Mississippi State guy? Uh, I want to have you look that up. I don't I don't know. Yeah, so Mississippi – I can't even talk Mississippi. See, the barley wine is getting to you, man. It's Dude. already getting to you. Mississippi State, Will Rogers. He's yeah, in the portal. you're right. It's Will Rogers. Okay, so Will Rogers hit the portal. Um, so, I mean, there's guys hitting the portal. Can Nebraska go get one of those guys who's going to be better than what they have right now? But, but look, there, there will be better quarterbacks I, than Chubba Purdy in the portal. I the question that. is, can Nebraska get them? Can, can they get them? But I also say this: Texas A&M wasn't that good. Mississippi State wasn't that good. You're getting you're getting quarterbacks that came from no better programs than what Nebraska is right now. That it, that's a good point. Well, and that's the I mean that's the risk with the portal. It, it's it's one hundred percent. I mean, risk. everybody's sitting here going like, "Well, we need to go to the portal and get old linemen and a bunch of quarterbacks." And I'm it, and I've said this before in the podcast. It's not that easy. It's and it's only going to get t- tougher the more the yeah, money flows. Because I mean, we've talked about like, okay, so I mean, kind of the two examples that in my mind are sort of the shining examples, or three actually. Um, you got Jordan Travis at Florida State, who's he's out injured for the rest of the year. Um, but Bo Nix and then Penix at Washington. I mean, all of those guys were transfer quarterbacks. Penix, uh, what, Indiana guy? Bo yeah. Nix, an Auburn guy? Yeah. Um, Jordan, oh, God, he might have been an Auburn guy too. I got to go double check my, 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 my facts on that one. But it's you got three guys that are all, I mean, those are home run hits. That does not happen much. I, I, I mean, what do you think's a good? You want your portal guys to be like a hundred percent, but that's you're never going to bat. You're, you're never going to bat a thousand. No, I thought. I mean, I think the best portal guy that Nebraska got was probably Ben Scott at center, and uh, he was solid. Not, I, I'm not. He's not an all Big Ten guy, but he was now, solid. Let's not forget, Chubba's a portal guy. He's a Florida State that's guy. True, He's a portal guy. Yeah, that was a little different though in my book because. It's like Penix had a lot of on-field resume coming out of Indiana. Bo Nix was actually a pretty damn oh, productive was. quarterback at, at Auburn. Auburn. Was. was yeah, I mean he was actually a really good quarterback for for Auburn. Uh, Chuba didn't do anything at Florida State, didn't. but but he had he had pedigree. He had big numbers coming out of high school. He's been dealing with injuries. And I think when you're Brock Purdy's brother, that that gives you a little. It more is, credit. and the thing that still cracks me up is if you see 
comments from anybody who watched both Brock Purdy and Chubba Purdy play high school football. I mean, almost unanimously, people say, well, yeah, Chubba was the better of the two. But that don't, that doesn't always translate. That's why it doesn't. I, that's why I don't get a boner over recruiting. You know, uh, I see all these websites making a boatload of money off clicks because recruiting, because everybody wants to know who's coming in next year. Y- you and I have been around this a long time. You can be the greatest fucking high school player in the world until you actually produce at the college level. What you did at high school doesn't impress me. Doesn't impress me at all. Absolutely. You know, uh, late in the game, of course, Nebraska had a chance to win this thing. Uh, they got a pick. Uh, Deacon Hill threw a pick. They get the ball back with about a minute to go. Actually, less than that. And then things started unraveling. First of all, they line up, and then they're forced to take a timeout right away, which people are criticizing the poor clock management. So here's uh, Matt Rule talking about that that timeout they had to take late. Yeah, we'll just put it on us. I think, you know, some young guys got in there. You know, Billy went down. Billy was trying to come back. Some guys just got in there and just got a little confused about where to line up. So, um, you know, anything anything like that, to me, it falls on me. Uh, but that was, you know, just a play call. And, uh, again, guys were having to – you know, we're down to – when Billy goes down, you're down to really four wideouts that play for us. And just guys trying to play different positions just got a little confused. So he, well, he said it's on him without really saying it's on him because he, he actually pointed the, the finger at young guys. Well, he, his point is, is that – and this is the thing I keep going back to. It's hard for me to criticize the coaching staff. It's hard for me to criticize Satterfield. It's hard for me to criticize – both clock management as well as play calling, when Nebraska has to deal with what they have to deal with. And we're talking about... God, it's a pretty ragtag bunch. I mean, you've lost three or four wide receivers, two or three running backs, over 50% of an offensive line at some point during the course of the season. The guys you have, when you look at like Teddy, who's still, I, I, and, and again, this is just me watching him play, still coming back from a couple of knee surgeries and a couple of shoulder surgeries. It's, you've got these guys that are just incredibly banged up. I mean, it is about as patchwork as you can get. Um, and I understand there's teams where walk-ons succeed and have like get out there and they shine. But I mean, you look at Nebraska, I mean, you like take the Bullocks brothers. I mean, it's a, it's Omaha Creighton prep kids with Alex and John. I think it's John. Yeah. Okay. Just double checking that. I'm talking to the, the, the Creighton the prep, prep grad yeah, in the ask room. The prep grad. Yeah. Alex um, and John, you got it. So, I mean, it's, and now here's the thing. They, they're good athletes and good football players. Are these two guys, like, if you'd gone back three, four years ago and said, like, hey, we got a couple of these walk-ons from Creighton Prep and Omaha that were just some good, solid, all-around high school athletes who are walking on, love the home state school, want to go be Cornhuskers someday. Oh, yeah, they're, they're going to be two of your key players on both sides of the ball. Yeah, no, you never would have guessed that. You probably don't want it either. Oh, I mean, if it happens, it happens. But you, and, and actually, I think those two guys have busted their ass and have beaten out a lot of guys that people. But are they difference think, makers? 
It's what you got to play with. What you have to play with. I, it's I'll give what you, that. you have to play with. But that's the thing is, I'm sitting here going like, you got Nebraska who does have a slew of three to three and four star guys at that position who are who have either transferred or are injured. You got guys at running back out injured. I just when you look at what this what this coaching staff has had to work with. So when when you listen to that soundbite from Rule and he's like, ah, uh, yeah, he goes, it's on us in terms of getting these guys ready to play. I get it. It's just that when the guys that you're trying to get ready to play are a bunch of former walk-ons. I mean, that's just not much to work with. I mean, it's. I got in a great Twitter discussion with a local volleyball coach, and she made the point that, hey, these are D1 athletes. Next guy up, you got to be ready to go. That's not, that's, and some that's of the not exam- true. Well, and, and to a degree it is true. And so my brother and I had this discussion the other day. But there's a reason you have a second team, a third team, and a, and a scout team. And I get that, but my brother's comment to me was, he was like, oh my God. He goes, what is up with all the injuries? And I was like, dude, John, we had these injuries when I played. Your and depth he, was just better. And he was like, what are you talking? He goes, it wasn't that bad. And I was like, okay, my junior year. We lost Brendan Stye, All-American guard, to a bad ankle fracture. Same game, we lost John Peterson, one of our centers, to the exact same type of ankle fracture. One week later, I have a severe ankle sprain, nearly fracture my ankle. A week after that, Steve Ott, one of our alternate starter offensive guards, shatters his ankle. That's four O linemen in a span of three weeks. Which would decimate most teams. It would. We just threw another all all conference guy in behind them. But you had better depth at that point. And that I, and that's my point is that there's the difference. Is that listen, if you're in Alabama or Georgia, guess what? That second team guy is a future all SEC offensive lineman. That's what we had at Nebraska. And I made this point, I don't know, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Tony Velan tears his ACL in 94. Uh, not Tony Velan, oh my God. Mike, Mike Minter tears his ACL in 94. Going into that season, he was hands down the best defensive football player on the team. We lost him game number two, and we replaced him with Tony Velan who's a future all-conference safety and Super Bowl champ. Why do you always got to be smarter than your brother? So John had to back down from you then after you had the kid. Well, I'm way smarter than John. I mean, holy cow, dude. It's not that <laughs> It's not that hard. No, my point is is that, okay, when I mean, look at running back. Like, I, I remember my junior year, the running back lineup was, was all-conference Calvin Jones drafted by the Packers. Number two was Lawrence Phillips. Then you had what Damon? Then you had Damon Benny, and then Clinton Childs. Then you had Clinton Childs. I mean, we went four deep with all conference NFL guys at one position. Can you do that in college football today? It's hard. God, it's hard to do. Yeah, today. I don't know if you can do that. Today. That's the thing is now, like one of those guys is going to transfer to Memphis. One of those guys is going to transfer to Boise. One of those guys is going to go to K State. Yeah, I mean, at fullback, we went Corey Schlesinger. Jeff McAvicka, and then Joel McAvicka. You had Billy Leggett in there who would take your head off in an instant. I mean, it was just 
God, we were loaded. Yeah, because the transfer portal will keep depth from getting as deep yeah. as you were. I mean, my backup was was uh, was Chris Dishman, who was like a ten year NFL guy with the Arizona Cardinals. That was my backup. That's crazy. I mean, it just it just kept going and going and going. Dish's backup was Adam True, who was like a thirteen year guy with the Raiders, started in the Super Bowl. Yeah, you're just not going to see that anymore. I mean, pe- it's just people are going to go because they want to play. Yeah, we went three deep with NFL guys at every single freaking position. Guess what? Nebraska right now does not have that. Guess who does? Georgia, Alabama, Alabama Michigan, Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon. Teams that are going to be Washington. playing for the national championship, or at least yeah. in the playoff. Or playoff or, teams have that kind of depth. Is it's one of the, we had those injuries. We had those losses. We just we just went with well. Who's the next all conference player? We'll just put them in there. So after the timeout, they come back out and you draw this up on the Doc's diagnosis presented by Centrus Federal Credit Union. You can see that on Monday. It's the Purdy INT, which just totally took the the wind out of Memorial Stadium. And a lot of people look at it and go, "How in the hell did he throw it over the middle when the guy was standing right there?" You break it down quite. I mean, I would drew that up in a zone blitz yeah. perfectly. It, it's a great zone blitz. The thing that's kind of funny about that is, is it's a little bit of a blitz pattern that's become maybe a titch antiquated. I mean, this is a blitz that I remember kind of came in about 20 years ago. It's like you ba- essentially what you do, you bring an extra linebacker or a safety, and it's a guy you need in zone coverage. You just drop a defensive lineman back into that zone then. And the idea behind it is is that in the quarterback's brain, they're not thinking that – I mean, you're not thinking a defensive lineman's going to be standing 15 yards deep into the defensive backfield. Like their brains aren't conditioned to think that way. So when they see that blitz, in their mind – They've now got a completely wide open wide receiver. You've got a guy with nobody on him. There's nobody on the defense accounting for that guy. And so as a quarterback, the design behind it is is you're trying to trick the quarterback into throwing the ball to that one offensive player who should be completely uncovered. But if the defensive lineman goes to where they're supposed to go, they're going to be sitting right in the zone ready to make that pick. I don't know if Iowa could have executed that any more perfectly. Well, and Ethan Heckert, who made the the pick, said that his linebacker told him, drop back. I think he was supposed to go, and they must have seen something, but he was told late, drop back. In and there. that's a smart defense. I mean, that's a defense that – I mean – that's some serious second and third level thinking by a linebacker for him to tell Heckard, hey, I'm recognizing this. If we zone blitz this and drop you back, that guy's going to be the, – the one guy the quarterback's going to be going to is going to be the guy that you're going to be essentially covering. And that's what happened. I mean, and it's it's super easy to look at Chuba and say like, well, how did you not see the guy – so much of this stuff is based upon timing, reaction time, recognition of what you're – I mean, I'd say recognition of what you're 
of the defense, but also recognition of what you're expecting the defense to do. And on that given play, the play side linebacker and the play side safety both blitz. And in Chubb's mind, he's sitting there thinking, oh, if that play side linebacker and play side safety both blitz, that tight end is wide open. There's nobody covering him. But quarterbacks are also conditioned to think there's not a defensive lineman dropping back into fucking pass coverage. And that's what that's what burns you on a zone blitz. Now, here's the other thing I'll say. I, I I would probably guess, and this is a little bit of like, I mean, anecdotal. This is just me watching football. I don't have actual numbers in front of me. I would say that zone blitz where you drop the defensive lineman into coverage, it works maybe at most 30% of the time. The other rest of the time, the quarterback looks and goes, holy shit, there's a 280-pound defensive end standing right there. I'm not going to throw the ball at that guy. But if you watch Heckert, he took two steps in and then back. So I think he... And he, he disguised the, it. Yeah. Yeah. He disguised it. Yeah. He he gave it enough that, I mean, if, if the quarterback was looking at all, it looked like, okay, I got four down linemen rushing. The middle's going to be wide freaking open. And you don't, it sounds weird, but the quarterback, when they're looking at the middle of the field, they don't see the guy sitting there. No, they're thrown, they to, they're thrown to a spot. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, exactly, exactly. And if the guy is there, by the time the quarterback actually, by the time their brain registers, oh shit, there's a guy there, the ball's three feet out of their hand already. I mean, th- there's a lot of times, think about some of these deep pass interceptions, where the where the ball lays up a little high, falls a little short, and that safety picks it. The quarterback doesn't see that safety. They were expecting to see something else there from a coverage standpoint. Same kind of thing. From a coverage standpoint, the quarterback is not expecting that guy to be there. So by the time they actually do like visually see the guy, the ball's already out of their hand. What was a bigger surprise to you? Now that put to Iowa within about two or three yards of field goal range for Drew Stevens, who never kicked the the, the game winner for Iowa. LeSean Williams had a 22-yard run on the very next play. That one surprised me. I was surprised he went for 22. I, um, I was happy, but I was surprised. Little bit. I'm... <sighs> I'd hate I mean I hate saying the, the the defensive spirits were down in that setting but god it'd be tough for him not I mean you just got the interception that put Nebraska essentially at midfield in position to at best get into field goal range and kick a field goal at worst we're going to overtime I gotta be. I gotta be honest. I'm taking Nebraska over. One hundred percent. I I don't disagree with you. When, when when Hill threw the pick, I'm like, this game's over. Yeah, I, I mean, was, even if it went to overtime, like I was not going to beat I Nebraska. I was in too, and so when Nebraska threw it right back to Iowa, and now here's the other thing. I I mean, Nebraska really shut down Iowa's offense in the second half. Yeah. First half, that inside run was working. It was. It was there. I so I first half, I'm sitting up in the north end zone. So I'm watching gap play. I'm watching the way these blocks are playing out. You can see the hole perfectly. 
that hole was there the entire first half. Nebraska's defense kind of shut it down the second half. I I think Nebraska's defense, I think it was probably enough of an emotional load. They kind of reverted to first half play. You know, I think the difference is between Iowa's defense and Nebraska's is Iowa's put in that position a lot and they they, they, know they live there. They live there. They absolutely live there. And I, you know, I, I don't think that can be overstated enough. You and I talked again. I talk, I said it earlier in the podcast. You told me before the game, Kirk Ferentz lives for these chess matches where it's a tied score, fourth quarter, and you're going to play this chess match, a field position for the last 15 minutes of the game. And Iowa did that. They sit back. How many times have you told me Kirk Ferentz's whole coaching philosophy, sit back and wait for the other guy to make a mistake, and then you capitalize on yeah, it? Yeah, like, it's like a spider just waiting there for, for the— which for is the- Yeah, which is completely disgusting for an Osborne aficionado. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I mean— Because but- Osborne was a, hey, offensively, we're going to do what we do, and sooner or later— we will break your back with it. And, and that's the, it's the exact opposite. And I would just I mean, there's times in Ferrance's tenure he has done that where they're just gonna run the ball, 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 hit Noah Fant for or Hawkinson for a long touchdown. Um but most of the time, it's just it's not his thing. And, and, but he hasn't had the tools to do it either, in my my opinion. Uh, don't forget, Fred is your guy when you want to bet. Now get the No Sweat First Bet bonus. Your first qualifying bet of $20 or more will be matched with a Fred bet up to $105. If it loses, use the promo code RUSH. That's all caps, R-U-S-H. Basketball season is back and better than ever thanks to Betfred's new Trade Day promo. Every week, one lucky Wednesday game will be selected as the Trade Day Game of the Week where you could get a Betfred, uh, a Fred bet rather for every three-pointer made by the top scorer. Terms and conditions do apply. Must be 21. Plus, wagers only accepted in the states where Betfred is doing business. You can find those at BetfredSports.com. And if you do have a gambling problem, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. A big thanks to our good friend Connor Orr over at Orr in Oregon. Connor's a friend of the podcast, licensed sports agent in the state of Nebraska, and works directly with athletes and businesses to help them navigate the ever-changing landscape of name, image, and likeness. Connor is also focused on corporate and personal injury litigation in both Nebraska and Iowa, and he can work with you on your business planning, estate planning, and real estate transactions. Call Connor today at 402-408-6488 or visit orinhorrigan.com on their website. Husker Hounds. It's Christmas time at Husker Hounds when you buy a $50 gift card, get an extra $10 added to it. Also, check out these deals. A lecture pullover. Regularly $100 on sale for $59.99. Stocking caps once $25 on sale for $15. And numerous hoodies regularly priced at $60 on sale between $30 and $35. Two locations in the Omaha area. The Superstore at 84th and Center and out west at 171st and Lake Hill, Lakeside Hills Plaza. Or you can make it easy on yourself and shop at huskerhounds.com where you get free shipping on orders over $50 and a flat shipping rate of $4.95 on anything under $50. Our friends at Centris Federal Credit Union can help you explore the uh, uh, ways to check some of those renovations off your list for for your home uh, with financial help with a home equity loan or a home equity line of credit. Centris Federal Credit Union is a proud sponsor of the Docs Diagnosis, which you can watch by subscribing to our YouTube channel, federally insured by NCUA. So hey, this- can I go back to uh, Husker Hounds? Yeah. 
Do you know why I was not freezing my ass off at the game? Because you shopped at Husker Hounds. Because I had the most outstanding Columbia, I mean, it was the most outstanding Columbia brand parka from a Husker Hound. So it's, it's like this, like they got these system parkas where it's like the code over the yeah. code. You can zip the liner out yeah. and it's like a lighter code. And all oh, that. and what were you wearing? Carhartt? I, w- I did have a Carhartt uh, sweatshirt Which on, it, and then an Iowa oh. sweatshirt on, and then a long sleeve, and long underwear, sweatpants, jeans, Dude, two pairs with, of socks, and I was still cold, so I don't you gotta, know. You got to go with the Carhartt outerwear. If there if, if there's not, like, tan canvas, is it really Carhartt? Yeah, I think he has a tan canvas. He has tan canvas. Did you wear it? No, I didn't. There you go. Okay. I do have it, though, but I didn't wear it. All right. Yeah, you would have been perfectly warm. Here's my thing. So I went to the uh, state football title game on Tuesday night. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll get the score. We're going to get Mitch Sherman on. No, you're right. We did. We got to get Mitch Sherman on and do like a whole high school sports transfer podcast. Um, Yeah. Does anybody who plays for Westside live in the district? Yeah. Actually, that's the thing that's funny about it. Most of those guys do. Okay. They get blamed for not, but most of them actually do. Actually, some of the quote-unquote transfers live in District 66, went elsewhere, and transferred Uh, back. Okay. That's what's crazy about it. Anyway, um, no, we got to get Mitch on because it's a great discussion to have. No, what I was going to say, though, is, yeah, I got this Columbia Sportswear coat that I got from Scott at Husker Hounds. It's the greatest thing ever. It was 20, I think it was like 28 degrees for the the, the state game. Yeah. It was 33 for the Husker game or whatever it was. I was perfectly warm. And you were warm because of Husker Hounds. Because of Husker Hounds. That's right. Uh, Owen, if, Owen needs a shop at Husker Hounds. And they can get you Iowa stuff at, at, at Husker Hounds. Buddy. Scott will order you whatever. Yeah, he, he, he hooked Joel Wilkes up with Oregon gear, right. for God's sake. So Nebraska finishes 5-7, and seven, not going to a bowl game. So now uh, it's back on the recruiting trail for Matt Rule. And we'll get back to work. You know, too often people complain and whine and talk and all those things. We're going to work. And um, uh, I think we got the we got the young players to do it. So we'll be back. He says they'll be back. What does, as they hit the recruiting trail now and go back to work, does Nebraska need a quarterback, an offensive line? What, what do they need? Oh, boy. You, you know what? I think a few things, a few different things here. I mean, number one, I mean, if I'm, if I'm Matt Rule, I'm having a sit-down with Terrence Knighton and Tony White, and I'm asking them, A, what do we need to do, A, to keep you two guys in Lincoln? And then I'm going to Trev and asking for whatever that is. Yeah, but if somebody wants to be a head coach, they're going to leave to be a head coach. I get it. I totally get it. I'm just saying if there's something that would keep them there, you go get it for those I mean, guys. everybody likes to think it's money. Sure, you can make more money as a coordinator, oh, but somebody... And I totally get it. But I mean, a little... Sometimes money helps. It, it, I, I would agree with you. Like it, so I mean, I know Rule made the but point. But you do understand, money's only going to help. It's it's a band aid because if you want to be a head coach now, you're talking maybe one, maybe two years tops. I get it. Um, you know, Rule made a good point though. He said he would like to see Tony end up at a quote unquote good job. And you and I have had this discussion a thousand times over. Like, is 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 Texas A and M a good job? No. 
It's a the, shit job. The money's good. It's a shit but job. But the job shitty. Listen, Al- and I would tell you this. Alabama's a shitty job. You, you know what? Georgia's a shitty job. You know what? Florida State is a shitty job because of the expectations. Well, because of the and the a, fan base. A and M more than the, I mean. You know why Stoops didn't take the job? Didn't leave Kentucky to go to A and M. ESPN reported yesterday that he was basically the guy. Boosters freaked the fuck out. I do think uh, boosters for Kentucky or A no, and M and said no. Yeah, they said no. They were like, this is not big enough. Sometimes you don't need the biggest name. You need a guy who can coach football. You need a good. You need a good coach. Yeah. Which I kind of okay. So, um, okay. Well, let's finish up the Nebraska side of this on defense real quick. You get in what Nebraska needs in the portal. One, go to White, go to Knight, and ask them what they need. Whether it's money, players, portal, whatever, and you get those guys. You lock that down because if there was anything that kept Nebraska in games this year, it was those coaches and their players. Next thing, A, you got to get a quarterback. And it doesn't have to be a splash guy. You don't need another Casey So you're saying Chubb is not the guy then? He could be. I want to see Chubb with a lot more reps and a lot more experience. He could be, but you still got to go get somebody to push him in practice or for him to push in practice. You got to go get somebody who's not going to turn the ball over. You got to get somebody who knows how to read a goddamn defense. And you got to get somebody with a little bit of time and he knows when to take off and just start running. Do you live in the porthole or do you live by recruiting? Or the is it latter. A I think it's the latter. You're going to have to get some portal guys. I would like to see one to two O linemen, which in my opinion, after quarterback, is the toughest portal position to fill. Good O linemen either A, stay where they're at, or B, they go to Georgia, Ohio State, or Michigan. They don't they they don't go to five and seven teams. They don't go somewhere to make somebody better. They go somewhere. Like if you're a great O-lineman, you go somewhere where they're already good and you're like, okay, I'm going to this place because I'm going to get more NIL money and I'm going to get a chance to win a title. I'm telling I'd live in the FCS space. I really would. I'd go to the Montanas, Montana States, the Northern Iowa's, the North Dakota states, and South honestly, states of the world. yeah, like my yeah. like my pipe dream, um, my my portal pipe dream, and it never ever would have happened, would have been for Matt Rule to go up to Montana, go get AJ Forbes and Chris Walker, and have brought those two guys back to Lincoln for this year because they had a picture of themselves last week celebrating. And you're like, it was like a whole Nebraska transfer thing just brutal you got vince genitone up there i mean just i'm looking at them just like ah all this talent up there they win the big sky they beat montana state i gotta look and see how they did in the although they actually i think montana might have had a first round buy in the scs play i think you're right i don't think they played this weekend um but i mean it's yeah i i totally agree it's it's the samari torres is who you want 
And those are the guys to get. And right now, those guys are at an absolute freaking premium. I know there's a DN from Penn who's got like 25 power five offers. There's but you six, have to be selective. You, ha- you yeah. recruiting still has to be the main focus, right? You yeah. have to be selective with the portal. Yeah. You're not- so it's if you're to do the portal, you're going after one quarterback, two old linemen, and then the rest of it. In my opinion, is you're going after the high school kids. You're going after those guys that you're going to develop over the next the the next two, three, four years. I, I mean, I still like. I really, really wish we could have seen. Um, Sam Sledge out there for a couple of games. I really wish we could have seen uh, Gatula out there for a couple of games at offensive tackle. Let's see what a couple of those true freshmen could have done. They're not going to burn their red shirt, get them a few games worth of experience, and let's just see what they're capable of and get them a little bit of that game experience because you've got some guys that I do think are going to be pretty good going forward. And I want to see what they're capable of. But I think going that route is the way to do it. The portal's great, but I totally agree with you. I think you go down to the FCS level and you find some of these absolute monsters at the FCS level and you go get those guys. But again, those guys are hard to get because if you're a – I mean, Nebraska scored with Samari. I mean, that was a great – that was a great portal find for them. The problem is, is now all of these FCS guys who are that caliber of player know they can play the numbers game with NIL, True. and they can play the numbers game with an LSU, an Alabama, a Georgia, a Michigan, and go someplace where you're going to be a potential title contender. So Nebraska doesn't get the extra practice time because there's no bowl game. Turnovers are a huge thing. How do you how do you work on cutting down turnovers? And I, you know what, I saw that this year. I mean, the 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 interceptions were still the brutal thing this year, and that's a quarterback thing. The thing I loved seeing is anytime you saw of an offensive player going into the end zone, right about the three yard line, they stopped stiff arming, stopped juking and they wrapped both arms around they hugged the ball to their chest and hugged the ball to their chest so it couldn't get batted out that got really consistent so i'm sitting there and i'm watching i'm going okay here's a here's a group of players that are actively actively being coached to not give up turnovers they just got to keep doing that it's just a process and a lot of people are like okay well it's dude they got 12 games under their belt it should be innate by now no some of these things that people think are like an easy flip to switch or not turnovers and penalties are a cultural thing that it takes in my opinion at least two to three years to fix and winning close games which nebraska hasn't done like forever um, that's just you need to get one under your belt, don't you? Don't you just need to win one, maybe then no, two? No, you, you got to win like 10. Before before it switches. Before that flips. Because, because using Iowa, Iowa's comfortable in that situation. They, yeah. they don't get phased when they it's 10. Abso- and here's the thing, Iowa absolutely lives there. So it can't be it can't be three, it can't be five. It's got to be, you got to go like 10 or 12 really close wins before you kind of start to fall into that 
Yeah, we're perfectly comfortable with this. So we're, we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. A lot's going to change in the next couple of days. However, Tom Allen fired at Indiana. Not surprising. He's owed fifteen and a half million bucks. Yeah, when he lost his O coordinator, it all went down. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, he did okay there. Not great. He had a, what one or two good seasons, but him getting fired doesn't surprise me. No, I, I mean, he was a guy. Actually, I was a little surprised he didn't get canned last year. Well, they owed him too much money. Yeah. Well, there you go. And even even fifteen and a half million for Indiana is a lot of money. I you mean, know, it, ba- it basketball is. will play hard and make that up. I mean, do you get a decent person in there? Indiana's not a great football job. Facilities aren't that good. Fan base isn't that good. God, Bloomington's beautiful. Yeah, but it's not. It's a basketball school. It and, is. It's like Kansas, which I think Kansas scored with Leipold. Leipold's going to end up with a statue on campus. I, I'm going to tell you, it's funny. Somebody mentioned Leipold for the Mississippi State game ago. That's a step down. He's got much better situation at KU than he does Mississippi I State. I agree. And, and here's the other thing. Again, and I don't know how much coaches think about this. God, it just fit plays into it. it Leipold's does. a great fit at Kansas. Climate is a great fit at Kansas State. Um, I kind of questioned it initially. I might be coming around. Matt Campbell. Dude can coach. He's a great coach, and guess what? He's a great fit at Iowa State. 100%. He really, and, really and the is. The way money, if you're in a Power Five now, there, unless you really, really want to win a national title and put yourself at an Alabama or Georgia, or which, like you said, aren't great jobs because of the pressure that comes with it, yeah. you're sitting there going, Matt Campbell's making, what, four or five million bucks at Iowa State? Why leave? Dude, if I'm Matt Campbell, Chris Kleiman, Leipold, I'm never leaving. I, it, it, because you're a god. Ever. You're a god. And now, Climbing will never be Bill Snyder, but Lance Leipold, you're right, can have a statue. Matt Campbell can um, have a statue. No, and I get it, but I mean, but I mean, there wasn't a Bill Schneider at Kansas. I mean, at Kansas. No. There was not a Bill Schneider at Iowa State. No. You've had coaches that have had solid runs at both schools. But you didn't have this, oh, my God, you had a guy who elevated you to, I mean, a game away from playing for the national title kind of thing. Plus, I mean, the other thing with Schneider, he was, I mean, prior to Leipold, I mean, Glenn Mason had a really nice run at Kansas. Mangino had a great run at Kansas. You look at Iowa State. McCartney had an oh, he had a couple good seasons. Okay, McCartney. I thought McCartney was McCartney was he was actually Dan was actually I thought really underrated because he had like zero facilities whatsoever to work. Yeah, he was the guy who did more with nothing. But I mean, I thought Dan McCartney did really well. Who was the guy after McCartney? God, he he. Well, Gene Chizik came in, and then he was there not, a year. Yeah, not Paul Chiz- Rhodes. Thank you, Paul Rhodes. I mean, Rhodes was the guy who. Came to Lincoln Pelini's first year and got, what was it, eight turnovers in I'm one so game? I'm so proud. I mean, I'm so, so proud. But yeah, but before, God, that was so funny. But he, you know what? Paul Rhodes was a solid coach. No, he wasn't. He was solid. He was dude. not a solid coach. You know what? You know what his problem was? What? It is that he showed his emotions on the sidelines and his emotions affected his team. Okay, and, what and was so, Paul Rhodes? So, Owen, look up. What was Paul Rhodes' record at Iowa State? I think you're going to be surprised it wasn't that good. I, I, I think you're going to be surprised. There's a reason 
he's had a hard time keeping a job even as a coordinator after leaving Iowa State. Paul Rhodes, he was perfect for Iowa State in a, in a, in a, in a Band-Aid fix after Gene Chizik because he was from Ankeny, he, 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 he was from Iowa. That kept everybody happy. But in the long run, he was, he was an average coach and a great motivator. How's that? How about this? Iowa State's an average program. Uh, I as of right Football now, wise. I, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. Great wrestling, um, excellent women's basketball. I think I think Matt Campbell has it above average. Now, record wouldn't dictate that, but I think Matt Campbell okay, can be a lot up. more consistent. And okay. the truth is, he's won more. His, his his percentage is better than Johnny Majors. It's better than well. Now that's the thing. I mean, you had Johnny Majors. Okay. Well, I guess. Oh, so my bottom line here is that you had Earl Bruce. It, you look at Iowa State. You had Johnny Majors. You had Earl Bruce. You had Paul Rhodes. Um. You had Dan McCarney. You've had these runs that, at least by Iowa State standards, were fairly solid. Now they're just more consistent. Matt Campbell's been yeah. more consistent than either one of those guys. Okay, I got I got some Paul Rhodes stats give, here. Give me numbers. Okay, we're looking. Uh, looks like he coached there from 09 to fifteen. Does yeah. that sound right? Okay, yeah. seven years. Uh, wins thirty two, losses fifty five. Yeah, that's pretty mediocre. Yeah, in bowl games, one or two, uh, three, three. He so was three. in the uh, okay. his first, third, and fourth year. He was in bowl games. So basically, fifty percent of the time he was there, they went to a bowl game. Sure. Better than Scott Frost. That's true. Better. I, I'll give you that. So I'll give you that. That that's fair. Dana Holgerson also got fired today. Uh, he was at, at Houston. He was at Houston. Is Houston a good job? He's a lot of money. A lot of money, but so unreal, Houston, unrealistic okay. expectations. No, I I look at Houston as, in my opinion, that's a that's a sleeping mini giant. Really? Okay, so Look at so the, I always call it the Houston curse. So you look at all these guys like Sumlin, Charlie Strong, a uh, guy who went from um, Ohio State to Houston to Texas. Who, who's your last Tim, coach? Uh, Tom Herman. Tom Herman. Yeah, you look at there's all these guys that were. I, it's these guys who are like just their coaching style is just built for the mid majors. And that's Tom Herman and Sumlin. And Guess what? Strong Houston, and, Houston isn't a mid-major anymore. Houston's a power five. It's a big I mean, 12. It, it is. And, and don't I, look now, big 12, because Arizona started kicking some ass towards the end of the year. I'm they did. And I, and I get that. I just And I think, I, I think Houston would, would be perfectly fine in the big 12. I, I think there's a handful of coaches who've done really, really well there. But we're not suited for not a good fit for Texas or Texas A&M, and you've got all these coaches. They go to Houston, they're doing great. They've got inroads into recruiting. They're pulling the kids in, and then they're like, "I'm going to take my show to Texas, or I'm going to take this to I'm going to take my show to Texas A&M," and they and they flat out bomb. I, I think Houston's one of those places where it, it's a it's a place where you can actually do a lot of damage at, and I think it, I think Houston's a good job. What, and I know the expectations are high, but guess what? It's not any A and M high. It's not Alabama high. It's not Nebraska high. 
I think if you go to Houston and you can pull nine, ten wins most years, they're going to freaking love you. I, well, the expectation when Dana Hogerson got hired was to win ten games a year. Now, in the big, two, that's when you're. But in the did AAC. he really even do that at West Virginia? No. See, that's the thing is, no. I think that was a bad. I think that was. But he was an assistant. I mean, he he had been in Houston before. They thought it was a good cultural fit. So they thought, but there are no guarantees, right? I mean, that's the thing is you can make a hire. It can look like a splash. Nobody in their right mind thought Scott Frost was going to fail at Nebraska. Nobody. Totally get it. And it's just one of the, it, A, it wasn't a good fit. And that's that's the chance you take. Let's bring up your your, your Michigan State Spartans. Talk about fit. Talking about uh, Jonathan Smith, who's been at Oregon State, who was at Washington, who was at Boise State. He's a Northwest guy. He comes to the Midwest. And he's, I mean, he's an Oregon State grad, correct? Is this a good fit? Um, It's a 50 50 thing, right? You're never going to know. Yeah, I I thought he was an amazing fit at Oregon State. I mean, there's some of these guys that. But you're losing your Power Five status. You're like, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to get buried in this mid major shit and I'm never going to be able to compete. Yeah. Has. Where did Oregon State and Washington State did they end up in a conference? Well, they still they own the Pac-12 now. No, I mean the answer to that is in no. In the future, no. So they they still haven't been taken in by the no. Big Twelve. I think for the pl- instance, I think the plan is going to be Rob. The plan is going to be that Wa- that Washington State and Oregon State are going to invite, or they're going to merge with the Mountain West and assume the Pac-12 name because the Pac-12 name is a much better brand. So you take the Mountain West schools, you bring those in. And you create the new Pac-12, but it's still not what it's everybody still, else. It's is. still the Mountain West. That's all it is. I mean, if I was those two schools, I'd be doing anything. I, Nobody wants them, dude. How can you not get into the Big Twelve? They're like Mikey of conferences. They will eat anybody. Them. There's no value. It's all about money. There's no value in them. I get it. Washington State has zero value. Oregon State. It have has, you ever been to Spokane? No. I have. And? No value. <laughs> See, exactly. I can't believe Corvallis, Corvallis has any value. I mean, I've never been to Corvallis, but the people I know who've been there have said Corvallis is beautiful. I, uh, I just, I thought he was an amazing fit. I mean, you've got an Oregon State guy at Oregon State, and he's killing it. And then he, he's doing great. Now, here's the thing that I actually think this might work. And might be a solid fit. And I've used the word fit like 19 times now. That means everything. It is a great term because I think when it comes to coaches, it it, it might be the most underrated category paradigm. I don't know how. What, let, me, what, what, let me use an example. Criteria. Mike, Mike Riley was a bad fit for Nebraska. 100%. And you knew it the day he moved here and his wife couldn't live in a fucking house because of bad paint jobs. You're yeah. just like, what? I mean, I'm sure she's got an illness. Whatever. It was just weird. Right? It was just so I don't really, even know that, really but yeah, weird. The dude was so. not a fit. And and, and and Frost wasn't either, which in hindsight, you're sitting here going like, yeah, we should have seen that coming from yeah, a million miles. 100%. Um, Matt Rule's a fit. I can tell you that right now. I think he's a far better fit. I mean, that's the thing. I look I mean, at Kirk Ferentz. Guess what? Kirk Ferentz is a great fit at Iowa. And Matt don't forget, Campbell is a great fit 
at at Iowa State. Don't forget, you know how many Iowa fans wanted Kirk Ferentz 25 years ago? Zero. That kind of surprises me. Because Bob Stoops wanted the job. Okay, now, and that's the thing, but I know the backstory on that one, and Iowa screwed the pooch there because guess what? Bob Stoops also would have been a great fit at Iowa. Would have been. But he went into to President Rhodes, said, Oklahoma's offering me a job. Here's the money. Can you match it? I want to come to Iowa. It's not the way we work here, Bob. Yeah. So he went and took the Oklahoma. Then you're like, Kirk Ferentz, who failed at Maine. He wasn't a good coach at Maine. Everybody's going, who is this guy? Mm. 25 years later, he just passed Bo Schembechler for Big which, Ten wins. Yeah, which I would be the first to say, though. I knew who Cook – yeah, sorry. Got loose morals part two going here. Um Kirk Ferentz, I knew who he was. But most people didn't. You're a football player. Most people didn't know who Kirk Ferentz was. I get that. Because you played in the National Football League. He was an offensive line coach in the National Football League when you played in the league. And he was a guy, when I was coming out of high school, he was Iowa's O-line coach, recruited me to Iowa. And at the time, the only reason I would have gone to Iowa was to play for Kirk Ferentz. Because the guy was the place was an NFL O line factory. Well, you had you're lucky. You had two really good O line coaches in Milt and Kirk Ferentz recruiting you. Yeah, don't forget Dan Young was pretty solid. Let's not forget you almost went to Simpson College. So we'll that's a story for another day. It's an Iowa thing. Uh, uh, So, but yeah, the fit thing is absolutely huge. I, what, okay, we're talking about Jonathan's, Jonathan, Jonathan Smith, Smith, Michigan State. Let's finish that up. Okay. I think he's going to end up being a good fit because when I look at Oregon State in the Pac-12 and I look at Michigan State That's, I see where you're going. in the Big Ten, Michigan State's, in, in my opinion, is kind of the... The little they're, brother. They're the Oregon State of the Big Ten. That's fair. They're in that state with the other school that everybody pays attention to. Everybody in Oregon pays attention to the Ducks. Nobody cares about the Beavers. Every few years, they get a few recruits. They tear it up. They send some guys to the NFL. They do outstanding. Now, here's the thing that I will say about Oregon State and Michigan State. If Jonathan Smith can – if Smith can pull – his old line coach over. That's made that that's one of the top five O line coaches in the country at Oregon State. The guy's a stud. I'm blanking on his name right now. But I mean, when you look at O line coaches right now, it's Oregon State, it's Michigan, um, it's Kansas State with Connor Riley, it's Alabama, it's Georgia. Jim Mikkelschitz. I can't even say it. That's probably why I didn't commit it to memory. <laughs> the guy's an amazing all-line coach. Well, he's really, really good. I look at he's already at he's he, he already says on Wikipedia he's at Michigan State. Yep, there we go. So there done. D U N. Real done. quickly, conference championship games coming up this weekend. Just pick your winner real quick. Iowa against Michigan. Oh yeah, Iowa with the upset. 
Yeah, you're being a dick. <laughs> it's the beer's fault. It's not mine. I tell you, you know, what, Michigan's going to truck him. It's not. It's going to be ridiculous. I, but you know what? Do you if this game the, ended up being close, do you remember the Iowa Michigan State title game in 2015 when you, Iowa had their undefeated team? Their two loss team, but yeah, go yeah, they they were undefeated that year. Do you remember that big Big Ten title game? Yeah, Michigan State warmed down. It was, I mean, during, that that came down to this goal line it stand did. that Michigan State scored on. Yeah. This is not going to be like that. <laughs> Oklahoma State and Texas. It is not. They're getting You're a nuked, dick. dude. You're a dick. They are getting, You're a dick. Blo- they are getting blown out of the water. Does it go over 35? Yeah. You're such a dick. They're getting nuked. Oklahoma State and Texas. Oh shit! This this is my upset special for really? real. Really, I think Okie State pulls it off. Wow, that would shock the world. They look like shit against BYU yesterday. Okay, they're but they're that team that is just you keep thinking, oh my god, they are not good, and then all of a sudden we get to the end of the year and you're like, wait, hold on a second, they're in the yeah. Big Twelve title game. They got trucked by South Alabama. No, and I get it, but I'm sitting here going like. How is Iowa State not there? How is Kansas State not there? How is Kansas not? How is Oklahoma not there? Really? It's Oklahoma State? By the way, Mike Gundy, great fit at Oklahoma State. He could have gone several times. Great fit at Oklahoma State. The mullet. That guy should never, ever leave Stillwater. Alabama, Georgia. I, I think Georgia is much better. I don't. Alabama struggled against Auburn yesterday. I'm going with Georgia. Yeah, but that's oh, the whole rivalry game thing. It's different. It is different. Louisville, Florida State. I didn't even make my pick. I know because you're dragging your feet because you keep drinking. Who are you going to pick? Yeah, I'm. I'm picking uh, Alabama. No kidding. Yeah. All right. You'll have to explain that on Wednesday night. When we do behind the point spread. Louisville, Florida State. FSU. Look at him. He's wearing the the Florida State gear. Yeah, with the backup quarterback. You know, Washington beat Oregon early in the year. Oregon's a nine-point favorite in the Pac-12 title game. I'm going with Oregon. Yeah, I'm with you. The the question would be, if Texas ends up winning and and Oregon ends up winning, does who Who do do you pick? Who do you pick? Yeah. Because Texas has a win over Alabama. I mean, it it becomes – you're going to – Okay, how about this? Let's make it even more interesting. Iowa upsets Oregon. Michigan. No, Oregon wins. Yeah. Uh, so Oregon wins. Bama's out. Texas wins. Bama's out. Alabama wins. Bama's out. Bama's not getting in. It's not. I, I don't think so. You think they beat Georgia? They're not in. Nope. I don't think they are. Do you know what this is? You got Michigan. An argument in Texas, favor of a 16 team playoff. State. Well, you're gonna have twelve next year. We're not gonna be talking about this. I get it, and I mean, it's just—it's ridiculous. I don't know. Like we're sitting here talking, like right now, this is this season is the biggest argument in favor of at least twelve teams. 
Uh, I'd go eight right now, but I'll give you 12, and we'll have that next year. Don't forget, we're going to be talking about all five of these games on Behind the Point Spread, brought to you by Betfred Sports, coming up live on YouTube on Wednesday. We start at 8 o'clock Central. Our good buddy Scott Spreitzer from Las Vegas joins us, so make sure to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check it out, Behind the Point Spread, Wednesday night, 8 o'clock live on YouTube, and we do take your phone calls. Okay, We're going to be live this week, so we'll be taking your phone calls. All right, time for some listener and viewer questions. Let's go back to the newsroom. Because we like to call it a newsroom. It's just a curtain. Uh, that's where, uh-oh. <laughs> that's have you it. been in an actual newsroom? Yes, you have. Yes, I have. Yeah. Is it all that different? Well, that's more of a control room. I should call it the control room. because It's the control it's room. It's a control room. We're in the newsroom. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This first question comes from Michael. Okay. So having watched the game and, of course, the NU-Iowa game, Seems like a huge disparity in the quality of officiating, specifically use of video review and game clock management. Both Iowa and Nebraska lost timeouts asking for review on plays that should have been clearly reviewed for things like ball placement. Why is the Big Ten so inconsistent in support of officiating crews when they are so clearly incompetent? They look like fools on national broadcasts. That's from Mike. Yeah, that did look pretty bad. Well, I tell you um, which actually, I, I will say this. I, I thought some of the officiating calls were a little sketchy in, in the Iowa-Nebraska game. I thought both the ball placement reviews, in my opinion, were essentially, both in, in both instances, I think the coaches wanted to call a timeout. They didn't give her, the review was secondary. The coaches wanted a timeout. The idea is is that you request a review for ball placement with the idea being if on some sheer stroke of luck the officials go, oh, yeah, we did screw up on ball placement. We're going to give it to you. You don't lose a timeout. And so you can essentially use that in terms of calling a timeout that you, you, you've got probably a, like a 40-60 chance of not actually losing your timeout. So if you win the review, you keep your timeout, and you still got the timeout. Here's, you know, replay is one of the things that drives people nuts. And here's Kirk Ferentz, after the Nebraska game, gave his opinion on, and you can tell he's old school here, but here's his opinion on replay and, and just the officiating that's going on today. Take that replay stuff and blow it up, start over again. I mean, we were trying to make this stuff rocket science, and it isn't. It's football. And I'm old enough to remember when replay got started, the whole the whole context was if some, some you know, official got screened, there's an obvious mistake, correct it, let's move on. And now we're, we're making it like a five-minute dissertation every time they go to – I'm scared to death every time they go over there. And it's not the guys on the field's fault. It's not their fault. I want to be clear on that too. So, anyway. I, I kind of agree with him. I mean, at the time when it started, it was for those obvious mistakes. Um, and I, I mean, we just talked about it in terms of the timeout versus the the ball placement thing. Coaches are using a, hey, can we do a review of the ball placement in lieu of a timeout on the low chance, but still a chance, that they'll win and get to keep their time out and essentially get a fourth time out. That's why they're doing it. 
So, I mean, Kirk's right when he talks about that. He's, so also, he's also right when he says they're trying to make it rocket science. It's just football. It shouldn't take as long as what they do. It, it is. The, the, the thing that's difficult is when you get some of those plays where you get like, okay, guy catches a, get, catches a pass along the sideline or catches a pass at the end of the end, like in the back of the end zone, and that foot comes down and you're looking at it from seven different angles – was his foot in bounds? Was his foot out of bounds? I mean, I, I understand those as well, too, and you want to get those right. So those also last five minutes. So, I mean, and I'm okay with that. If the guy was in bounds, he was in bounds. Let's go take a look. If he was out of bounds, let's go take a look. Let's figure it out. Next question. Okay, the next one comes from Chad in Derby, Kansas. I don't know where Derby is, but um, I hope Tony White stays, but let's go into pretend land and assume he doesn't. Is Rule a Tony White guy or is Rule a 335 guy? And some other sub-questions here is, does Rule go after another 335 guy or go into something more conventional? And are there a ton of 335 disciples to choose from? Good question. Yeah, I, I think there's... More and more of the three, three, five guys out there than you think. Um, I know one of the guys that's been discussed. It's, it's a and I'm blanking on the name. It's a And M's current D coordinator, which my understanding is is actually one of the first guys that Rule went after. Now, a couple of our po- podcast listeners and Twitter followers actually kind of are the ones who clued me in on this. But that was one of the first guys that Rule went after in terms of D coordinators when he got the head coaching job. And the guy stayed at A&M. By the way, uh, this from the Houston Chronicle, this, uh, A&M is going to Mike Elko to replace Jimbo Fisher. That's from Mike? the Houston Chronicle. Wait, Elko's the... At Duke head coach. Damn. And you're talking about okay, DJ Durkin. Okay, DJ Durkin that's going to make... That's going to make your boosters at A and M happy. Well, but he was he was at A and M, went to Duke, turned that around. You're talking DJ Durkin, who was yes. at Ole Miss with uh, with Lane, I think, for a year okay. before he went to Texas A and M. So I think that's who Rule was originally thinking. Um, now that being the case, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens if, if White does end up leaving for a head coaching job. I don't know. I actually do not think that rule is a three-three-five guy per se. I think he's hey, if you're if you're a guy I know and you're a guy who's a great D coordinator, that's what I'm going after. So I don't think it's necessarily a, a system and rules a I want a three-three-five. I think rules a I want a D coordinator who's going to shut up opposing offenses down, and I don't give a rat's ass how you do it. Next question. Okay, this next question comes from Marshall and Carney. So all these years later, the Heroes game and the Heroes trophy doesn't resonate with anybody I talk to or myself. Since the game is essentially a Missouri River border battle, can we just use the proper pronunciation of Missouri and call it the game of misery? Oh yeah, and replace that boring and ugly corporate trophy with a golden plate of corn and bacon. Now that's a trophy. That's a trophy. Fuck yeah. Which Do you remember the original trophy? Uh, wasn't a chair? Okay, no, that's Minnesota. Okay, and sorry. it's broken. No, I mean it. It had like the kind of the pyramid base to it, and then there was like a big old ear of corn on top, and everyone was like, "Okay, that's a piece of shit." If you're gonna have a piece of shit trophy, you gotta go full piece of shit. 
I mean, let's just go with like a like a big old handful of ears of corn. Or, and, or like like he said, a plate of corn and bacon. Uh, you got to throw bacon in there, right? Iowa this, is the pork state. This is where Iowa and Nebraska fucked this up from day one. And the fact that, you know, you had Ohio State, Michigan, Indiana, Purdue, the old Oaken Bucket, you got Paul Bunyan's axe. Those were Floyd. Floyd. What happened was corporate people, when I, Nebraska joined the Big Ten, corporate people got involved. Hy-Vee sponsored the Heroes game. And Tom, you know, they all wanted to be this nicey, nicey bullshit. The, the truth is, these two fan bases don't like each other. You have some Nebraska fans saying it's not a rivalry. Were you an idiot if you're saying it's not a rivalry? I want it's the a, bad corn trophy. Yeah, so it, it's just one of those things where corporations got involved and they put the heroes thing behind it. Like, oh, isn't that nice? Okay, fine. They're great stories. They were really good stories. But the truth is, and even Omar Brown said it. He doesn't like Iowa, and for the most part, Iowa doesn't like Nebraska. That's what that's what make college that's football what God, great. That's what God intended. You know, I mean, that's what makes games fun, intense. That's what okay. fan bases want. Give me a trophy right now. Oh, I'm taking Floyd's pretty cool. It's a pig. Okay, well, no, I mean for Nebraska, uh, Iowa. I don't know. We already like Floyd of Rosedale is a great trophy. Yeah. That is an outstanding trophy. Um, who's got the spittoon? Which one is that one? Well, I don't know. Isn't that a trophy? A spittoon? Somebody's got a spittoon trophy. I don't know. Oh, and look it up. You know what, well, you know what one I like is the egg bowl. It looks like a fucking egg. Okay, why is that one the egg bowl? I don't get it. I, I'm not up on my Mississippi culture. Yeah, what does Mississippi have to do with eggs? I don't know. Is it an Easter thing? The spittoon, the spittoon it's called the old brass spittoon. It's between Michigan State and Indiana. There we go. I knew there was a Big Ten trophy. It was a guy. How did you not know this, Trav? I, I don't know. Do you hate Iowa? Why do you hate the Big Ten? I don't hate the Big Ten. You know, the Egg Bowl is not freaking, as old as we think. They gave the nickname freaking the Egg Bowl Iowa in 1979. State. Dude, freaking Iowa State guys. I tell you what. You're a cyclone. Not a cyclone. You're a cyclone. My wife's okay. a cyclone. Okay, Egg Bowl. 1979, really? Yeah. But, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, everybody knows it's the Egg Bowl. And they said that because in 1979, uh, the Bulldogs, Mississippi State, were 3-7. and seven, The Rebels were 3-7. and seven, And neither were bowl eligible, so they called it the Egg Bowl. Not eligible bowl or whatever. The Egg Bowl. I don't get what egg, like how does egg play into that? I don't know. That? I don't know. Dude, that's a Mississippi thing. It is. They, I suppose whenever well, I don't know. Um okay. I you got to you got to answer the question though. Nebraska Iowa trophy, what do you got? Either some kind of corn bacon thing or you know what, Rob? I'd go big. You got John Deere over there on the eastern half. I donate a fucking combine and that combine gets to sit in school colors. On, on campus. I fucking love it. <laughs> and you paint it every year. You, you paint it every year. And you don't know what's even better? It gets painted red and somebody slaps an International Harvester logo on it when Nebraska wins. And when it goes back to Iowa, it gets painted it, green. Green. John Deere green. That would be cool. That and it just it just sits somewhere on the and, Iowa campus, or it sits or right the outside Nebraska the stadium, camp. right? Yeah. Either, either you walk in and it's painted for the Nebraska, but whoever gets you to take that, that combine is? home, genius. See, 
okay, we can make this better. And, and, and you it know, pulls like a little like fifth wheel behind it loaded with bush light. See? And all the team seniors ride in it on the wood drive home pounding bush lights. And then whoever wins can pick what kind of front end it wants on it, either a, a bean picker or a, 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 a corn picker. Oh, yeah, definitely corn picker coming back to yeah. Nebraska. So I'm just saying. I think that a full-size fucking combine would be awesome. I love it. See, I was thinking this would be a – like, do you remember go the – Go big or go home, man. Okay, do you remember the uh, the Field of Dreams baseball game where they had the pro teams? Yeah. And there were the couple of guys out there at the edge in the outfield. They're like, oh, look, corn. They grabbed a couple of ears. Yeah. Took a bite and on camera, they're like, oh my God, it's field corn. And they spit it out. I had a buddy of mine who goes, why is there so much hunger in this world? I said, what, what are you talking about? He goes, well, look at all the corn. How are we starving? And I'm like, it's, it's field, field corn, corn you dumb it's, shit. It's feeding cattle. But see, you know how many people grow up in the city and don't know that stuff? Lots, 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 lots. So you're okay with the combo? You you like my idea of the full size? Well, combo. my idea was we should we I wanted a brass trophy, like small brass trophy, of the pro baseball player spitting out the shitty Iowa field corn. That was my idea, but I mean, oh my god, I'm like, like your idea just slaughtered mine. Thanks, man. I come up with a dude. That is a great idea. We need we need the John Deere combine trophy between. I Iowa like your and idea Nebraska. though. It's either an international harvester. Or it's a John Deere green, right? Yeah, it's like Nebraska wins. It's getting painted red and going IH. And, if and, it's not, it's going John Deere green. And you for don't even Iowa. have to paint anymore. You just take it down to Curzon Graphics and have them wrap it. You know, you just have them wrap it every year on whatever it is. There you go. Are they going to sponsor us? No, I doubt it. They Get don't have, Curzon on. They don't have They're good money. guys. Next question. We're whores. We'll take anything. Yes, we are whores. I'll give you that. The next question comes from Bo. Um, Not Pelini, I hope. No, no. Bo Berkeley. Um, anyways, I don't know if you guys notice, but Nebraska has a fucking turnover problem. <laughs> Let's pretend head coach Zadiska and assistant coach Justice are in charge. How do you fix the turnover problem before next season? One, I'm, I'm going back to, I can't remember which, we talked about this before, but the whole coach on the whole passing thing where like, like if you're throwing the ball, it's it's like there's three things that can happen. It's incomplete, it's intercepted, or your or your guy catches it, and two out of those three are bad. So let's run the ball more. So I I, I hate all the runs we had on first down. I hated no. all the runs on second down. Runs or passes? Well, I hate. I'm sorry. I hated. Oh my god! Let me I buy hated you one. all the passes on first down. That was brutal. Seven. It really was. I mean, that was absolutely brutal watching that because, okay, there's, I mean, I understand catching the defense off guard. Guess what? You're not catching a Phil Parker defense off guard. You're just not. They did on the long touchdown pass. And it was one. That's because they were blitzing and they just didn't get back soon enough. And I get it. It was one play. And you got a you got a singular talent, Jalen Lloyd, who can outrun anybody. But most of the time, that shit's not going to work. Run the ball, get two or three yards, and get to second and seven, and you got a few more options. You run on second down, and it's third and four. You got even more options. If I'm a head coach, 
I'm taking third and four every single time, and I'm happy with it. So yeah. I, I think odds. That, yeah, I think the key thing there is in, in terms of limiting the turnovers, it, it's going back to more of a run-based game. And I understand there's guys fumble the ball. They they do. I get it. But I think if you go to more of a run-based offense, I think it limits the turnovers a lot. All right, let's go one more. Okay. Uh, this one comes from George. Uh, do you guys get tired of the Groundhog Day state of Nebraska football? My main question, honestly, is will you guys hit burnout with covering Nebraska football? I won't. Because I I actually do Iowa on a full time basis every single day. Rob and I do this because we've been doing it since two thousand and one. I'll never get sick of talking football. It doesn't matter if a team's winning or losing. Uh, talking football, talking sports, and hanging out and drinking beer is a lot of fun for me. So no, I'm never going to get sick of it. No, I I agree, and I'm with you there. I mean, I think the bigger question here is is you see the same kinds of problems plaguing this team. And again, when you go back and look at this year, it's turnovers, it's penalties, special teams miscues. Those are the things that have bothered Nebraska over the last four, five, six, seven, eight years. Hey, and by the way, and, I, and and that's I mean, and that's brutal. I mean, but I I think you've got a coaching staff here who's been working to reduce that issue. I just. Gonna, Dad, it's it's hard for me because I, I again I go back to the whole personnel thing. You took a gamble at quarterback with Jeff Sims. It didn't work. You go to Heinrich Harburg, who is ultimately I think he's a slot guy. He's a tight end. He's an outside linebacker. He's not a quarterback. Here's what I'm worried about: if Nebraska wins, will you continue to listen? This is the dirty little secret that folks like Sean Callahan and everybody else who runs a little publication aren't going to tell you. Losing's good for business. It I, kind of is. I can show you statistics. When they lose, when they win, where listens are, where views are, I'm telling you, losing's good for business. I, it when just pe- is. Yeah, when people win, they don't go looking for a reason why they won. Yeah. They go watch the Ohio State game. Yeah. Let's go see what Clemson's doing tonight. Yeah. We already won and kicked ass. We're moving on. So, I mean, we'll talk about wins. We'll talk about losses. We can talk about other college football teams. I'm just saying, when it comes to listens and views, losing's good for business. And every other website, podcast, video that you watch out there, they know that. They don't. They won't tell you that. We'll tell you that because we'll, we're full disclosure. I have no problem telling you that. When, when teams lose... People go look for misery loves company, right? Misery loves company. I, it's 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 a. I'm fact. trying to work my way around. How does the Hawkeye fan figure into this? Because they're because, miserable because they want something different. I'm telling you, Rob. I, I host a show. I host the <laughs> Hawkeye Call in Show after they're the games. Still miserable. They're though. miserable. I mean, they were seven and two at one point and still wanting somebody's job. Even after Brian, every win, I listen in. And they want somebody's job. Every win, I'm listening in, and every single time they win, somebody's calling in. And go, we need to fire everybody. <laughs> you're I mean, winning. You're winning, <laughs> and they still want everybody fired. I mean, it's it's crazy stuff. To, you know what? They're going to get boot stomped by 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 Michigan. I mean, it's that game's not going to be close. Uh, let me ask you this: Do you think that game's going to be close? No, I don't. Uh, I, I put a poll out the other day on my Twitter page. 
And what was the odds of winning? Five, 10, uh, 15, or 20, something like that. Or I went zero, five, 10, and 20%. I, I say five. I, you always have a chance to win, right? And so, yeah, I mean, so there's I, a chance. I said five. Do you um, remember the year uh, Northwestern played Ohio State for the Big Ten title? That was like four years ago, yeah. I think. I mean, that was a ball game for about two and a half quarters. I, you know, I mean, it really was. Iowa I mean, State got or like Iowa, Northwestern hung in there for till about the mid third quarter and then folded. Iowa got pounded by Penn State. Go back and watch the game. It was a game for the first half. It yeah. was the second half. It was. It was and first half. Iowa was in that yeah. game. Now second half. If Iowa had an offense, it would be, it would be a great game. Well, I, okay. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Like the 02, 03 to 2010 Hawkeyes. Yeah. They had an offense. They did. Drew Tate, Brad Banks. Dude, Brad Banks is still, I mean. Dude, should have won the Heisman. When I go back and look at, okay, who were some of your favorite college football players of all time? Brad Banks. Troy Davis at Iowa State would be up there too. But you're right. Brad Banks was a hell of a quarterback. Drew Tate, Tate to Holloway against LSU. Where did the recruiting and offensive philosophy go with Iowa? Philosophy hasn't changed. You know what the difference is? They don't have the same type of playmakers. I know, I get it. But my point is, is, I mean, that philosophy usually dictates recruiting. Why did that recruit? I feel like that changed. I, Kirk Ferentz would disagree with my assessment on this. He does not want superstars. Nowhere. He does not want a superstar. You know what you need to win at a high level? Superstars. You need superstars. And you need like three of them. Yes. He does not want superstars. And it's amazing to me. It's it's baffling to me, actually. Yeah, you need need one at quarterback. Yep. You need at least one at wide receiver. And then you need a tight end or a run running back. back. The superstars have been tight ends. Well, you can only be a superstar for I mean, you can only get the ball so much. But I mean that well, and even that's the thing. I mean, the thing that was always spellbinding to me is in that season, was it 2015 What was the year they had both Fant and Hawkinson? Oh shit. Is that uh, 2017? 2017 or 18 maybe? Yeah. Might have been 19 as well. I I can't remember. Like that's that's the year I'm looking at Iowa and just going, dude, if I'm the old court, like I'm not a coordinator. I'm not a football coach. I'm sitting here going like, I'm basically designing an entire offense around you got to cover one guy and or the other. That's why people, And if you cover one, I'm hitting I'm hitting the other, and if you do manage to cover both, guess what? Now Quarter, you, quarterback draw, running back draw. Now you know why Brian Ferentz got fired and why their offensive production is so low. And why people still want Kirk Ferentz gone, which is amazing to me, but um, it, it happened. Speaking of superstars, okay, I, and I got one more question to follow up. No, after, go ahead, no, 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 because I was going somewhere else. So you, you go ahead and ask a question. What happens with Kirk Ferentz? Um, Do you really think he stays after this year? It's Do funny. you think with the AD, I putting I, their foot down like she did? I, I go back and, and forth I there. and here's the thing. I don't disagree with her. I think she made the right move. Well, and first of all, my question is, does Kirk stay? I need to clarify some things here because if you guys watched 
Matt Rule won a lot of Iowa fans over this last weekend. If you saw the soundbite he had about all the respect he had for Brian and Kirk Ferentz, Iowa fans were like, shit, we want to hate this guy, but we really like him now. Adam Kruger from Channel 3 asked the wrong question because he said, hey, have you ever had an AD um, mingle in a coaching staff like this? And it was the wrong question because Adam Kruger didn't know the situation. You're talking about a nepotism law that in the state of Iowa where Brian Ferentz directly reports to the AD. Yes, I totally get that. So that's where you have to know the backstory. And I do understand that. Yeah, but I, I think most people don't. I think most people go, how can an AD fire an assistant coach? It's because of the nepotism rule. So you know, when Adam asked, hey, have you ever had an AD mingle like this? I, you need total backstory on that to why an AD fired an assistant coach. I get that, but if you're Kirk Ferentz... And that's and you've already kind. Here's the. I mean, here's the other backstory. Kirk had made it known we're going to deal with this. We're just going to deal with it in the offseason. Yes, and if you notice, Brian Ferentz has not wore Iowa gear since he got fired. Yeah. Now to answer your question, I go back and forth. I know nothing on this. I've, t- I've tried to talk to some people. I go back and forth. He has said that he's going to come back. I, I really don't. I don't know. I'd, I'd be honest with you. I think he's going to retire. Deep down, a gut says, screw it. I, this year. This year. See, that's my gut feeling. That's my gut, but I've been wrong before. I don't know anything. It would make logical sense. Why come back? You just want a West Division. The Big Ten's changing. Hey, Nebraska's going to have a hard time competing in the new Big Ten. It is. Oh, 100%. So, I mean, it's just one of those things. You're starting over in a whole different landscape, a whole different playing field. Now's the time. To, the problem is he's 11 wins behind Woody Hayes for most Big Ten. I mean, he's so close to like getting – most ever. Well, Alonzo Stagg has the most, but he's moving – he needs like 30 wins to pass. It wasn't Stagg like University of Chicago, Chicago when yeah. Chicago was yeah. in the Big Ten? Yes. So, I mean, he's so close to becoming – It scares me that both you and I know that. He's so close to becoming the all-time leader in wins in Big Ten Conference football. So do you hold on just to get that record? But where probably I probably going to take two years to do it. I think it, to beat Stag, I think it would take three more years. Okay. And and right now you're recruiting against him, knowing that when his contract's over in 2030 or 2031, that's it. He's not going beyond that. There's no reason to go beyond that. You'd be he's 68 now. Wait, so his contract currently is 2030 or 31? Yeah, and that's why he – if there's one reason not to walk away – It's 2023. Yeah. That's like another eight years. Yeah, so I think it's 2030. So you know why you don't walk away? Like 40 million bucks. That's why you don't walk away. That's well, a lot of money. he's already got that money. I, I get that. I get that. Hey, you know – I saw this the other day. I want everybody to watch this. Go to Amazon Prime if you have it and watch the Barry Sanders documentary. It's unbelievable. It's really, really good on why Barry. I've already got people. Well, we had a a commentary uh, kind of had like a a whole Bo Earl Campbell. I'm just telling you. Commentary on Twitter today and somebody brought that up. Barry Sanders might be my new hero. I'm serious. I mean, he did not care about. Anything. Anything. Now, he cared about football. He cared about winning. And you know he cared about winning yeah. after watching this. It was the personal stuff he didn't He didn't care about. He didn't care about records. He didn't yeah, care about Although, if you were around... So, I was in the NFL at that time. So, I mean, yeah. we, we played Detroit twice when the, Barry was with I, Detroit. The, I forgot how 
fucking good he was. He was. He was. So I, I kind of, the thing that's interesting, um, I compare him. He was the Babe Ruth of running backs. So I remember we're getting ready. It's the first game of two games, two years in a row that we, with the Giants, played Detroit. And I remember our O-line coach, just for shits and giggles, we were watching some Barry tape. And we're, we're all sitting there going, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. And our O-line coach points out to us that he goes, hey, he leads the NFL, and this is a stat, in getting tackled for loss. Like he, at the time he played every year, Nobody got tackled for a loss more than Barry Sanders. Interesting. Think Babe Ruth. At the time Babe Ruth played Major League Baseball. Led the baseball and strikeouts, right? Led every year. Led the league in strikeouts. But you, Guess what else he also led the league in? Home runs. Home runs. You know what Barry did? Home runs. Well, yeah, he led the league in 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 rushing. He, he was. He was. He was he, that good. As far as running backs went, Barry was the home run hitter of running backs. It's on Amazon Prime. Check it out. Yeah. Hey, another thing you need to check out is uh, Owen's album release show. It's coming up on December fifteenth at Maloney's Live in Council Bluffs. Tickets available at OwenJusticeMusic.com. The the album comes out what uh, December eighth. Album be out December 8th. Yep, you got All it. Right. So if you haven't uh, checked out any of Owen's music, make sure to go to Spotify, YouTube Music, Apple Music, wherever you listen to your music. He's got five singles out right now. Uh, hit the album release show. Tickets available at owenjusticemusic.com. Hey, a big thanks to Husker Max for distributing this podcast. Head to huskermax.com for the latest news and opinion from a variety of voices. If you have any questions for Dr. Rob and myself, go to doctalksports at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow Dr. Rob on Twitter at doctalksports. Like the Facebook page and follow us on TikTok. Okay, here's the deal. We're going to take a couple weeks off, okay? Rob's going to do a little vacation. I'm going to do a little vacation. We are going to continue to podcast. We're going back to our off-season format which will be interview style. We'll have people in the studio talking. Uh, we'll bring people in. We'll bring them to the basement. Hopefully we have some really good guests because it's always interesting when somebody comes to the basement, right? If you have any ideas, I'd love to hear them. No guarantee that uh, we'll like them, but we'll, we'll listen to them. But uh, we, have some, we have some ideas, and hopefully we'll, those will come to fruition. Dr. Rob, happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. Let's, we'll do another one before Christmas, I think. We'll try. We should okay. Yeah. Well, we got the we got the conference title games. And that well, we I'm got gone. Next, we, I'm gone next. Sunday. Oh, that's right. You're yeah. trekking across Europe. Yeah, I'm going to Europe. I'm going to Europe, my friend. All right. I need to. I need to. And then you're going to Florida after that. Well, that's true. So, but we'll be I back got a graduation. before graduation. We'll be back before Christmas. I promise you. Yeah, that. we got to do a college football wrap up. By the way, we officially did a two-hour podcast. Owen's like shit. Holy I got band shit. practice. <laughs> We got to shut up. I got to shut up. Uh, we got some more stuff we have to do after the podcast. So All for, right, let's for Dr. Do it. Rob Zaniska, for Owen Justice, I'm Travis Justice. We'll talk to you next time on the Doc Talk Podcast presented by Betfred Sports.